Well, how many, uh, how many of you faint or get queasy at the sight of blood? Let's go. All right. How many? Just show of hands. It's okay. I'm not going to show you any. I know you think this is a setup. Like, I know some people, uh, just at the very mention of that word, uh, you, you feel weird. Um, I had someone, a nursing student here at the church, uh, telling me about a story she experienced uh, the other day about, you know, basically a bone was exposed and it was nasty looking and it didn't gross me out at all. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm into that kind of thing, uh, which is probably weird and the fact that now that's recorded. So, um, <laughs> but a lot of people see blood and it's like, oh, or limbs or I, I, I grew up in a family. My dad was a paramedic. So, uh, we heard it all. And then I went to EMT school and did that for a while. So I have seen it all. And it's never really bothered me. You know what? It never really bothered me because it wasn't my blood right? It's cool when it's somebody else. Like when you watch those videos on YouTube and then when it's you, it matters, <laughs> right? There's some fainting. There's some like just skiing. I mean, it's, just, it's just weird when it's you. And today I want to talk to you about the subject of blood, okay? I was like, well, this is a really weird church that we just stepped into. But I think you would agree with me that there was an entire sacrificial system set up that keeps going back to this word, blood, that is constantly mentioned throughout the Old Testament and definitely into the New Testament. We've been on this journey uh, since January as a church reading through the scriptures, and we, we have found ourselves um, on the way to the promised land, right? Uh, but before we can get to the promised land, we've got to deal with some things. Uh, and this is what God's trying to do with his people. So he, he tells Moses, remember last week, Moses talks to this burning bush. He has this conversation. He says, you need to go back and you need to free my people. And so Moses goes back to the place that he was very concerned about because when he left, uh, he left on not good terms because he's a wanted man. And so he takes off into the desert of Midian where he encounters this bush. God gives him the message, go back. So he finally goes back and he tells the Pharaoh, you got to let God's people go. All right. You think about how challenging that was for a man of Moses' stature who's been on the run for 40 years, comes back and starts demanding one of the most powerful men in all the world that you need to let people go. So at this point in the story of the Israelites, what we have found is the Jews have been captive, right? They're in this bondage. Moses, this Egyptian prince turned shepherd, is going back and he approaches Pharaoh now, and this is interesting, he approaches him nine times. And he tells them the same message. You need to let my people go. This is the word from God. You, you need to let them go. Every time that Pharaoh refused, a plague would come upon the Egyptians. Remember how many plagues there were? There were 10, right? Did you know that all 10 of those plagues were not just random? Like frogs, that was just not random. Uh, the, the Nile River turning into blood, one of the plagues, not random. Those things were a, every plague is an, a direct attack against one of the god or goddesses of the Egyptian people, okay? We don't have time to go down that, that rabbit trail, but if you just want to do some Google research there, you can, you can do so. And so the question is that why the 10 plagues? Because God is attacking the false gods to prove that he alone is sovereign God. So this is a distinct attack, 
So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 12. That's, that's where we found ourselves, because we're on plague number 10. This is the plague of the, the, the death angel. Remember that guy? Again, think back, Charleston Heston's, if you made it that far in the Easter movie, when they show it on Easter's, they, they have to, this is about where the, I, tried, I told you last week, I tried to watch this thing all the way through as a kid, and I never made it past. This is the part I never really got past, was the spreading the blood, all right? So, so that we call it now Passover. Now, the Lord is giving directions to Moses. He's telling this, hey, this is how I need you to prepare your people for the final plague. So they're going to really be affected here if they don't follow instructions. And what's going to happen is he's going to eventually convince Pharaoh to, at long last, to let God's people go. But before God's people are free, they're going to experience the death angel, and they're going to be given some commands. They're going to be told that if you want to save your sons, you need to put blood over. This is really weird, right? Because if I see this in my neighborhood, I'm calling the cops. But he tells them, I'm going to need you to sacrifice a lamb, and you're going to have to take that lamb's blood, and you're going to have to smear it over the doorpost and on the sides of your door to cover it. If so, when the death angel comes, you ready? He will, I love the, the Hebrew language because it's very simple, he will pass over your house. That's how we got the name Passover. And so look at me, look at, uh, don't look at me, look at your Bible in Exodus chapter 12. It's far more beautiful. But in verse, 12, in verse 1, he says this, The Lord said to Moses, and by the way, there's going to be some weird things. I'm going to need you to track with me because we're going to put this in a nice little bow here at the very end. But we're going to learn some things today. You ready to learn some things? All right, for the 10 of you in the room, we're going to learn some things. He says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. And it is the first month of your year. Now, we, we typically would read that uh, in a Bible reading plan. We just kind of skip over that. But there's some pretty important things here. In order for us to understand, I'm going to break this passage up into two sections. So here's section number one, God's plan for salvation. God was already working the plan of salvation just a few verses after Genesis chapter three, when everything just went haywire. Remember when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit and, and it just went downhill? God was working the plan right there. There is a salvation plan. And what we're going to see in these passages is this just, isn't just a story, but I told you that everything in the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. Uh, I heard, and we even had this conversation this week with one of our elders, that the, the comment was like, we don't even need the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. Um, that's cool. But you've got to have the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. Am I right? So... The New Testament is the color. The Old Testament is the outline. If we don't have the outline, we don't. Have you ever seen coloring pages that no outlines at all? It's just kind of smeared all over the place. Like we would never learn. You got to have the Old Testament. And so I want to show you God's plan for salvation here in the Old Testament. So he, he says this month is going to be the beginning of months for you. It's the first month. So one of the things we see in the passage is the Jewish people followed a biblical calendar. All right? So, is following calendars and being organized biblical? Yeah. Their new year began with rotations of the moon. All right? And they called this new year, it's called Rosh Hashanah. And this typically would take place around September to October would be the beginning of the new year. This is when the nation of Israel is going to be born. It's going to be born here at the Passover. It's an independence day of sorts. So God says, before you guys leave Egypt, i got a few things I'm going to need you to do. All right, there, There's a checklist 
uh, when you travel, there's a checklist. And he, he tells them, there's three things you must do in order for your firstborn not to be killed when the death angel comes. That would get my attention, right? I'm the firstborn son. I would make sure my daddy and my mama knew, hey, did y'all get that memo? I just need to, Moses gave us a memo. And he says this, you got to select the lamb. In verse 3, he says this, tell the whole community, because that would be a great start to make sure everybody gets the message. So we already know that the, the Hebrew people were calendar people, they were organized, and they were communicators, all right? If you can do those two things in your life, it would make things a lot easier for everybody. He says, so tell the whole community. Now, here's what's interesting about this word community here. This is the first time in all of Scripture where we see the word congregation. This will also word will pop up again in the Greek language in the New Testament, and it will be a Greek word called ekklesia, which means church. All right, so this is, the first, this is an assembly, a gathering, a congregation. And so it's a, a community of people together. Now, in verse 3, he says, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the what day? Tenth day of the month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families. One animal per family. All right, how many animals per family? Okay, so all families in here, you got to bring one animal, right? A lamb. And you are to keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. And then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. Well, that, that got really violent really quick right? The entire process that God gave Moses is foreshadowing the death of his son Jesus on the cross. And I'm going to show you that. They were supposed to select a lamb, all right? So we're going to select the lamb. We're going to find the lamb. The lamb was selected on what day? The 10th day. And you are to keep that lamb in your possession. So what day did Jesus enter Jerusalem on the donkey? If you go to John chapter 12, verse 1, you just hang tight, we'll put it on the screen. He says this, six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one who Jesus had raised from the dead. Now this is interesting because Jesus is hanging out with his closest friends in Bethany. All right? And it is six days before the Passover which makes it the 8th of Nisan. That's not a car. The 8th of Nisan, which means it's now April, Aprilish. When do we celebrate Easter? Okay, just keep, keep in track. On the 8th day of Nisan, Jesus will enter into Jerusalem. And if we look at the text in Mark chapter 11, it says the next day when they went out from Bethany, they came to Jerusalem. So on the 8th, he comes to Bethany, and on the 9th, he comes into Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And when he enters into Jerusalem, the people are standing on the roadside waving palm branches. Okay? So when they selected the lamb in the Old Testament, it was on the ninth. Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the ninth. They're waving palm branches on the roadside, shouting at this man riding on a donkey. And they say three different things in three different gospels. Okay? Hear me out. Matthew chapter 21. They say, then the crowds who went ahead of him, this is the triumphal entry, so we're all on the same page here. He's coming in to be crucified. This is the week. The crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, what was the word that they shouted? 
Hosanna. Hosanna means save us, okay? Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And then look what they say in Mark chapter 11, verse 10. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna, save us in the highest heaven. And then in John 12, they kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. All right, listen to me. On the ninth of Nisan, when these pilgrims from all over the world were coming into Jerusalem, to do what? To make sacrifices. Okay? All over the world. They were coming. They were selecting a lamb. Could it be that the people on the roadside that day shouting to Jesus were selecting their lamb? Could it have been? And secondly, on the 10th through the 14th, they were to take the selected lamb and test the lamb. Now, they would determine if this lamb was spotless and without blood, you couldn't just go grab a lamb. You, you had to go grab a pure one. Y'all remember when Jesus went into the temple, made a whip, started whipping people and flipping tables? It's a great story. The reason he did that, because they were making it hard for people to worship. Because they were buying up all the clean lambs and bringing them to the temple and then price gouging. Y'all know what that is? Yeah, we have laws on that now, right? They were price gouging. They were making it impossible. Because it had to be a spotless, pure lamb without blemish. And they would determine if that lamb was there. Now, if we go back to Exodus chapter 12, it says this, that you are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel are going to slaughter the animals at twilight. The word keeps means this, to observe, to watch, or to guard. Because if you have a pure lamb, you need to make sure nothing happens to it. You can't let it get a bug on it. You can't let it get an infection. You can't let it get, you know, fall in mud. You've you got to keep this thing pure. And if you take that word, if you take that word keep and you apply it to moral conduct, here's what it means. It means that a person for us is to live a perfect life. It had to be a perfect lamb. So, they are there to make sure the lamb has no spots for four days and nothing happens, nothing crazy. And if it's perfect, then they would slaughter the lamb. Now, isn't it interesting that when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he is slammed with questions in an event to test him to see if he truly is the lamb, the Messiah, the ones that the prophet spoke of. Jesus himself, when he was coming into Jerusalem, he was presenting himself as a Passover lamb. And, at, and if you look at what historians, a Jewish historian, he says this, as the Passover lamb, Jesus was set aside on the 10th day of the month with the triumphal entry. And the purpose of the triumphal entry was not so much to present himself as the king of the Jews, for he had already done that. The purpose was to set himself aside as the lamb of God. From the 10th day of the month until the 14th day of the month, he was tested by four groups of people. Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and the Herodians. Now, I want to show you a couple of passages here to prove this point. Because in Mark chapter 11, you have the priests and the elders who are defending. Jesus is having to defend himself because he's coming under fire. This is the selection of the lamb. He's coming under fire by what we would call the PhDs of the society. 
So Martin chapter 11, verse 28 says they want to know, by what authority, Jesus, are you doing these things? What authority are you doing these things? And in Mark 12, uh, 13 through 17, the Pharisees and the Herodians, this is a council of Herod, they want to know where his allegiance is. Or, or is your allegiance to Rome or is it to something else? And then in Mark chapter 12, 18 through 27, the Sadducees, see the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. There's a joke there. I'm not, I'm not going to say it. My wife told me I could not say any more jokes. I'm on joke restriction. She's not here. They were sad. <laughs> because they didn't believe in a resurrection, they were sad, you see. And so... That was, but see, our sins under the blood are fully forgiven, even bad jokes. But look at this, in Mark chapter 12, they want proof of the resurrection is going to happen, and they're asking Jesus, and then in Mark chapter 12, 28 through 34, Jesus is once again attacked by the Pharisees who are interrogating him and want to know what the greatest commandment is. And over these course of, you ready? The course of these four days. So we have a selection of the Lamb. And then the testing of the lamb that's taken place over these four days, Jesus is being drilled by the religious elite of his society to prove a point and try to disprove him. And they came to the conclusion, you ready for this? Because this, this may surprise you. They come to the conclusion that Jesus is the spotless lamb without blemish. Now you're probably thinking, well, um, hold on, didn't they crucify him? How do we know that this is the case? Well, watch this. Mark chapter 12, verse 34. When Jesus saw that he answered, when they saw that he had answered wisely, he said to them, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And he's talking to religious people. You would think, with, these are the pastors of the day, that, hey, you, yeah, you, you are the kingdom. But I want you to understand what he says here. He tells them, you're not too far away from the understanding. You're not there, but you're almost there. You're halfway there. You, you have the head knowledge, but you don't have the obedience. And he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. They knew what they knew. It was a threat. This guy might be the Messiah. He might be the one. They are saying that Jesus is truly the spotless, sinless lamb. So the next thing they have to do, they've tested him. Now the next step is what? Slaughtering the lamb. And what's going to happen to Jesus at the hands of these religious? He's going to be slaughtered at their hands. Now the question is, do you remember the first place in the Bible where the animal was killed innocently for another person's sin? Genesis chapter 4. You had Cain and Abel, right? Not an animal, but they did animalistic things and they're just killing each other. Noah, Genesis chapter 8, he kills the clean animals as a sacrifice to God. And with Abraham and Isaac, he spares Isaac and he sacrificed the ram. There, there is a substitute. We would, in theology, call this a substitutionary atonement. There had to be a substitute to pay for the sins of you. So in the Bible, God used animals. So after the first Passover in Exodus chapter 12, the Israelites will go on to slaughter millions of animals throughout the year. There were two sacrifices every single day. Rain, snow, hot heat. They sacrificed two animals every day at the temple to atone for the sins of the people. Can you say it was a bad day to be a lamb in the nation of Israel? 
the bloodshed. It was brutal. Because when one animal dies, it is a substitute for one who is sinful. It is not by accident that Jesus dies on the Passover. Why? Because his death had to be spotless and a stainless sacrifice for the people. If Jesus dies any earlier or any later, he's not the Passover sacrifice. Because you remember in John chapter 2, Jesus is turning water into wine. And he says this is a really weird statement when they're like, you need to do something. And what does he say? My time's not come yet. He actually says, woman, my time's not come. And that was customary in Jerusalem, but not where I came from. Um, you don't talk to your mama that way. But he says, my time has not come. It always stood out to me. That was weird. But then in John chapter 7, Jesus is talking to his brothers, and he says to his brothers, it's not my time yet. And then at the Last Supper, Jesus finally tells the disciples that my time is near. What was he talking about? Crucifixion. Because the moment that he started, the clock starts ticking on his life. So Jesus knew that God had predetermined the time before the foundation of the world that he would go to the cross on a specific day, Passover, as a specific sacrifice, the Passover lamb. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Jesus Christ, you ready? Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. So it goes back to the question, why all of the blood? Because blood is a symbol of life. We have to have it, right? We, we have to have blood. You've you got to have oxygen, but you've got to have blood. It's important. Blood is a symbol of life. And in this system, the system is where one innocent person dies as a substitute and a sinful person lives. You following me? I'm going to give you some verses here real quick to, to help you. Romans 5, verse 9. We have been justified by his, you say it, blood. Ephesians 1, 7. We have redemption through his the forgiveness of our trespasses. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. Jesus suffered to make the people holy through his own blood. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 19. You are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God said the only way to have an atonement, to have our sins uh, removed, forgiven, is if someone innocent dies in our place. So if we go back 2,000 years ago and imagine that we're there in the city of Jerusalem during Passover, we're there to slaughter a lamb, you would typically raise this lamb from birth. It would kind of be like the family pet. Y'all see where I'm going with this? You would raise it. You would hear it bind at night. You would make sure it was wrapped in swaddling clothes. You'd make sure it had food to eat. You'd probably give it a nickname. You'd probably go out for a walk and it would go on a walk with you. You get really close. And then one day, after nurturing the lamb and raising the lamb, your dad comes and says, Hey, about the lamb... It's time to slaughter the lamb. What would you say? I'm good. 
I have a donkey, but not lamb chop. Like I've been raising, you know what I'm saying? It's horrific to think about that. This cute little lamb is going to be stained with blood on its pure white wool. The innocent sounds that it would make will be a death sound that you would hear as it is being sacrificed for your sin. Why would God do this? Why would he demand that an innocent animal every single year has to die for the atonement of the people? Why that there's two sacrifices every day, seven days a week for the people? Why is there so much bloodshed? Can I tell you why there's so much bloodshed? That's how much God hates sin. That's, that's how horrific it is. God says, look at the bloodshed and you'll see how much I hate sin. This is his plan for salvation. There's got to be a covering of blood. Now, there's a plan. There's also a process. There's a process for salvation. He says in verse 21, Then Moses summoned all of the elders of Israel, and he said to them, Go select an animal from the flock according to your families, and slaughter the Passover animal. Okay? You're following me so far. We've selected a lamb, we've tested a lamb, and now we're doing what? We're slaughtering the lamb. And he says, take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin. And I want you to brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out the door of the house until morning. Because as long as the door was covered in blood, everyone behind the blood was safe. Anybody that stepped out, not going to go well for you. Okay? You can imagine the sounds of the Egyptian people who did not believe that this was a thing and the death angel just went and took out the firstborn son. He would eventually get Pharaoh's firstborn son. At the time of the crucifixion of Jesus, God will insert two elements for us to be able to see the Passover. Do you know this? Notice the means of the application of blood. God tells him, I want you to apply the blood with what kind of branch? Hyssop. I want you to apply it with a hyssop branch. Hyssop was synonymous with cleansing and purification. So it was no accident. Watch this in John chapter 19. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on what? Just random, right? And he held it up to his mouth. Vinegar was used because there, there were a lot of Roman soldiers. And they would use vinegar as cleansing and purification for these soldiers. They would take a sponge on a stick and dip it in vinegar. We call it toilet paper. This is what the Romans used to clean themselves, their backsides with. And this is the very branch that they will take in vinegar and give to Jesus to drink when he cries that he's thirsty. He says in verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said these words, it is finished, and then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It is no accident that they pick up this branch. 
to show that the man on the cross is here to cleanse the sins of the people. The Jewish people would have recognized that. It wouldn't have been by accident. So there, there's a means of application of blood, but there's also a method for the application of blood. Because in Exodus 12, he says you can't just smear the blood, you can't just douse buckets of blood on your house. It had to be done in a certain way. He said if you'll take that cluster of hyssop, you'll dip it in the blood, and then that is in the, base, the basin, the brush, the lentil, and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. So you would take it, take the branch and dip it in the blood, and you would go across the top of your door, and you would go down. Did you catch it? They didn't know what that was. And I'm just speculating. They're just making a cross as they're preparing themselves to be saved. Why is this important? Because Jesus is not a surprise victim whose cause got out of control and he's being charged and sentenced to death. Jesus is showing us that he is a sovereign Lord who had a divine appointment on Calvary's hillside that day. And it goes even further. Because the Bible tells us what time was the sacrifice made. It's, the Bible says the sacrifices of the lambs happened at twilight, 3 p.m. Watch this. Mark 15, 33. He says, when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until 3 in the afternoon. At 3, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabatnai which translates, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was a point where God turned his back so that Jesus could feel the full wrath of our sin. And as the blood of lambs is flooding the temple floors, there's a man hanging on the cross just outside the gates whose blood is dripping on the rocks of Calvary. And with every drip was the forgiveness of our sins. And it pointed all the way back to Exodus. But don't miss this. It's not just the sacrifice that saves the people. Verse 7 says the blood must be applied. It's not just the simple fact that, yes, there was a sacrifice made. Just because you killed the lamb doesn't mean that you're going to be saved. It must be applied to your heart. It must be applied through repentance. It must be applied through faith. Because like I said earlier, believing Jesus died is history. But when you believe that Jesus died for you, that is salvation. And there's a big difference. R. Kent Hughes says it this way, there is an obvious progression here with the lamb serving as a representative for the larger and larger groups of people. At first, God provided one lamb for one person, Abraham and Isaac. Next, God provided one lamb per household, the first Passover. And then God provided one sacrifice for the whole nation on the Day of Atonement. And finally, the day came when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God was planning all along for one lamb to die for one world. In verse 12, he says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord, and I will execute judgments against all of the gods of Egypt. Why were the ten plagues? Because it was an attack, right? 
And we see the connection here in this voice. When we look up at the cross, we see the pavement of sin, of our sin. And when God looks down on the cross, he sees it stained with the blood of his own son. And when he sees this, Jesus cries these words, it is finished. In the Greek, that word is tetelestai, which means it's not just finished in this moment. It is past, present, and future is the context of that word in the original Greek language. Aren't you glad that we do not have to slaughter animals for our sacrifice? There comes a time when every person has to make a decision to surrender to Jesus and as the sacrifice and apply the blood to their life. I think about that word to telestai. It might be one of the most significant words ever uttered on the face of the earth. In the whole stratosphere, it's, it's a stake that is driven into eternity. Those words were dividing the darkness and the light when it was spoken because he's saying that the, that the, the transgressions of, of the people have been forgiven because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Think about what Paul constantly preaches. I preach Christ crucified. Why? Because it is finished that we can now have a relationship with the Father. The cross is the sole basis for God's total provision for us. Everything that he's done will come through the cross and will come through the shed blood of his son. Let me tell you this morning, while it is finished, God is not. He's not. Because God's work on the cross was perfect, it was complete, it was absolute, and because of it, it continues working in and through each one of us. I love the old song, the blood will never lose his power. And there are two primary responses to the cross and the death of Jesus. There were a group of people that day that mocked it, spit, cursed, beat, and crucified. The other response was there were people who fell at his feet and cried out, my Lord and my God, that he is who he says he is. I'll ask you the same question that they were asked on that day. What will you do with this man named Jesus? Will will you continue to mock and spit and curse? Or will you bow down and surrender to his lordship? Or will you just shove a sponge in his mouth? Or will you bow? Listen, this blood thing is weird and, and we, some of us have our things where it's like faint, but it should show us the weight that God treats our sin. There, there's a, but as, as much as the weight is, there is a forgiveness of sins. The, the Bible tells us that if we'll confess our sins, you ready? That, that he is just and he is faithful to do what? Forgive. And he can forgive because of the blood. I want you to bow your heads and pray with me this morning that there's some of you who today you've not you've never accepted Christ you've never surrendered to him you've never had a relationship with him maybe this is all new to you today but here, here's what I'm, I want to tell you is that it's no accident by thousands of years in between these events that God puts a date on the calendar 
for Jesus to be sacrificed and to save. He, God is always dropping breadcrumbs that lead us to the cross. He does it in the Old Testament. He does it in our own lives. And so maybe today, here, you, you got here. It's not by accident. Maybe this morning you say, I, don't, I didn't even know that I believed in God. But maybe, maybe there's something to it. We won't talk to you. Because I'm telling you, he is real. And I can tell you from personal testimony in my own life, God is real. And what I want to call our church into, and especially if you've never surrendered to Jesus, is this morning that you'll pray this prayer with me. Just call out, God, save me. I need forgiveness. I need help. I believe you're who you say you are. And I believe you can do the things that you say you can do. I surrender. And if you've made that prayer, that's the first step. The second step is speaking with someone so we can help disciple you, to help you grow, to learn more about who God is and how this applies into your life. It's When we come to the gospel, it demands a response. And it's not just a response of, I'm going to read my Bible now and I'm going to go through this. It is a response that I'm, I'm surrendering my entire life to him. It's, it's going to take a faith. It's going to take a belief that God's going to guide the next steps. But I promise you that if you'll just fully surrender, there is a life to the fullest. There are many Christians, by the way, who are not living life to the fullest because they've not fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. They, they hide behind religion. I don't want you to do that. I want you to fully surrender to him this morning. So if you prayed that prayer today, we, we want to know. I want you to go to the cross. We'll have an elder there who can speak with you. I'll come back and speak with you. And then your next step would be to baptize. We'll baptize again next weekend. We'll baptize again the following weekend. We'll, we'll just keep baptizing. We'll baptize after the service. If, if there's someone here this morning that you're like, I need to take that next step. just come. We'll figure it out. We've got some stuff in the back you can put on. We'll baptize you. So I want everybody to just look at me just for one second. I want you to know God loves you. And that might be the most powerful three words that I could ever tell you. I can tell you, I love you. I love this church. I pray over this church. I weep over this church. Celebrate alongside of this church. But sometimes my love can be inconsistent. Sometimes I can be mad at you. Not as a whole, maybe as individuals. But can I just tell you that there's one love that is unconditional, that is never changing, that is always consistent. He says, neither height nor depth will ever separate you from the love of God. So I can tell you, I love you all day, but I want you to hear God really loves you. Enough to send his own son, for God so loved the world, the cosmos, so that we can have a life in him and be forgiven. So if you've made that decision this morning, we want to know. Our worship team's going to come. We're going to sing a song of surrender. But let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today. Lord, your word's so fascinating. It, it, it blows our minds. It blows my mind of how detailed you've planned things out. When the word, world failed and sin entered into, God, you 
had a plan in place. And it cost the life of your own son to where you watched him and you felt the weight of even having to turn your back to your son so that he could take on the full wrath of us so that we can be forgiven and have a relationship with you. May we respond to the gospel. Your gospel demands a response. So Lord, this morning, move in this place as I know you have and I know you will, that there are lives that need to surrender to you today. There are steps that need to be taken today. God, we believe. Break down every stronghold that is here. Break down every false religion, every false teaching, everything. God, I pray for absolute brokenness in this place today. And I pray that the brokenness would be pieced back together only by you and your son. Please, God, do not let pride get in the way of us this morning. We can be so prideful and think we have it all together. We are not okay. We are broken. We are sinners. But we are found in you. Our creator. Our father who loves us unconditionally. I pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.